Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Here again with Jeremy Lee of Sports Cards Live. We're doing a dueling questions format where Jeremy gets to ask me a question and then I'll go back. We'll go back and forth until we I don't run out of time because we, we could keep going for a long time. I'm sure I've, I've seen Jeremy's endurance on his show, so I'm pretty sure I'm not going to outlast him, but we may have a, a buzzer beater or two. So thanks to uh, Top Spinini Upper Deck. Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, as well as ComC.com and Beckett.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So, uh, Jeremy, you've list- I've listened to some of your episodes. You've listened to some of mine. You're familiar with the dueling questions format. The listeners, I can assure you that I am nervous. Having seen Jeremy in action on his uh, YouTube, where he could take these questions out and take them in rapid fire. So uh, you get the first shot. All right. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be back. I, I'm, this is a, like a dream come true for me to be sitting here talking to you. So uh, I have my first question teed up. Are you ready for it? I hope so. Okay. So my first question, Jim, is you sold uh, Beckett, your business, uh, a few years ago or several years ago. And um, my question is, when you sold the company, what sort of due diligence did you do into the buyer? And by that, I mean, was it like was it like uh, giving up a child for adoption sort of thing? Did you... how? interested were you in making sure that it ended up in hands that you were confident would be able to carry on the name and the company to the level of, of integrity that you had during your tenure at the helm? I've got to give a politically correct answer here, Jeremy, a tough question. But if I go back, it was 15, well, actually more than 15 years ago. It's been 15 and a half years since uh, I've sold uh, to a prize media. But for many decades, I've met on a monthly basis with a group of other uh, presidents and CEOs of companies. So I have some close friends of guys that have dealt with that crossroads of life where you're thinking about selling something that's got your name on it. And uh, I went through that decision of thinking, I really want to find somebody that's really going to take good care of the brand and all that stuff. And they told me, they said, you're really going to have to sell to the highest bidder. And I said, I don't want to sell to the highest bidder. I want to sell to the one that they said, well, if you find the nicest bidder, they're going to flip it to the, to the highest bidder. So uh, this is a concept not unknown in, in card circles of, of flipping companies. So I said, you just might as well. And, but what you're looking for, and, and we're going to try to screen it for you to get a company that's that's, that's really good, that knows what they're doing, that, that, that really wants to preserve and protect uh, what you've built. They don't want to tear it down. So I felt okay with who I sold it to, but five years later, it was resold. And my buddies had told me, you can control who you sell it to. You can't control what happens after that. And so I haven't been displeased, but each group has put their own uh, stamp on it. So we're now dealing with the second owners and they have a, a different way of doing business. And I still have a lot of friends that work there, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not the boss anymore. And the only reason I ask is sometimes you sell a card from your personal collection and you want to make sure it goes to a good collection or a good home. So I just wondered as a collector how you would the same that. thing, though. I mean, you could sell it to some nice guy and that nice guy then flips it. So I hope that doesn't happen. I don't want to be too jaded. but And that's really not what happened to me. Okay. My question for you, since you've had so many questions on your show, what's the worst question you've gotten from somebody that either made you cringe or left you speechless or because you do a live show? I could at least edit out stuff if I had to. Because I've actually had some slander on my show that I had to edit out, but you're live. So what's a terrible question from whatever perspective? Well, you know, the thing about my show is that I have a different guest on every uh, every episode. And one of the one of the most important things to me is that my guests are comfortable during the episode. And I've had on guests who can be targets of criticism and complaining from the collector community. I've had owners and staff of card companies. I've had 
um, card grading company uh, representatives on the show. And, you know, they're often the target of people airing their, you know, the biggest thing for me is I don't want my show to be a customer service department or to be a complaint department. So whenever I see a question that comes up in the comments to my towards my guest, and it might be, you know, from if it's a card company, card company personnel, I don't want to, I don't want to ask the guest the question, well, why does my redemption take so long to get fulfilled? Or why is there a sticker auto in this case? My show is about bringing information to the hobby, not about collectors coming and um, complaining about things. And I've had that happen a few times. And I just try to not really address it, or I will address that viewer. And I'll say, listen, you know, my, this show is not about airing your complaints or specific, specific cases of customer service. So let's just save that for you to email them and let's continue on with the interesting content. Fair enough. Your turn. All right. My next question for you is, you know, I remember growing up and waiting for the Beckett hockey magazine to come out every single month. I could not wait for it. So at that time, it was my dream to work for a card company or Beckett publications. My question is, could I have come down to your office? Could I have flown down to, to where you live, where the company was in, in Dallas? And could I come down there and apply for a job? And would I maybe have gotten a job if I came to see you back then? Well, from what I know of you, yeah, I mean, I don't think we, I suppose we did have people come in unsolicited and say, hey, I want to work. They did something, that, but, but most of the ones I heard about were doing something that I haven't heard you say. And that is, I had people knock on my door and say they would work for free. So I don't think you were going to fly down there work for free. But if you have a strong, if you've got skills because you're an accountant and you have a little bit of an entrepreneurial itch so you can see opportunity, you probably would have fit in really well. And you had a good uh, collecting background from when you were a kid. But we had, uh, and I've related this, you know, Alan Muir we brought in from Canada and we had a tough time getting approval to hire a Canadian. We had to go to bat for him legally with the immigration, which is very different. Well, that was 30 years ago almost. But, you know, the, it, it wasn't automatic. To, to prove that that he was the best person for the job and he wasn't a, an American citizen. But I would have, that would have been great. And at the very least, we would have formed a relationship with you and you would have been a regional correspondent or something like that. Cause we, we, we delighted in having sharp people out there that weren't necessarily full-time employees, but people that were sharp and we could trust. So good, good question. Okay. My question for you is if Wayne Gretzky wanted to be a guest on your show for five minutes, what would you ask him about related to the hobby? I would, that's a great question. I would ask him, what does he think of all these cards that are sent to him to sign all the time? And does he understand really how much the collectors love these little two and a half by three and a half canvases with his picture on them and his autograph and memorabilia or whatever the card is? Uh, I often wonder that of all the players, do they really appreciate and do they really understand how much us, how, how just how to the extent that we collectors really enjoy these objects that, that portray them? I want to get his insight into that. And, you know, it does show through a little bit that he has a beautiful autograph. And a lot of these the modern day players, their autographs almost tell you directly that they don't care at all about these cards. So I'd just like to hear his perspective on that. I think his perspective uh, recently has changed such that he has, uh, let's see, about a million eight hundred and forty five thousand reasons why collecting is cool now. <laughs> and he needs to take seriously with a card business because of the LeBron James sale. So uh, Gretzky's the, is the king for hockey, I think for me, for, of all the people I've ever seen. Okay. Is it my turn? Your, your turn. Your turn. Cause that was, that was me asking about Gretzky. Thanks. My, thank you. And your, your question, actually your, your response to my response actually is a great segue into my next question with which is, you know, just current events. I, I'm curious as to your thoughts on the sale of the LeBron James rookie card that just sold a few days ago for $1.845 million. When you were, when you were uh, publishing your magazines, did you ever think that we would see a modern day card sell for that kind of money? If I say yes, I'm going to look stupid. I mean, who would think that it's so outrageous 
and uh, and it's so over the top and it's going to it's there's some good aspects about it but like I was saying there's going to be a ripple effect that players are going to think wait a minute why am I only that players and collectors and dealers all sometimes misunderstand the fact that Beckett Media Beckett Publications was tracking the secondary market not the primary market now Panini in some of the things they're doing tops upper deck the, the you know what what the, the the market for unopened product can float a little bit but the, the the crazy gyrations are once the cards are opened and and now with with that kind of a price that's getting that much publicity my my fear is the price of everybody's autograph is going to go up which means the price of the products are going to go up and and I I don't like that I mean I, I I'd like to see an orderly uh, increase in progression within the hobby but that is that's it's like everything's doubled this year or more than doubled, and that's that's not healthy. I, I've mentioned that's kind of irrational exuberance instead of just regular rational exuberance. It's a great hobby, so I'm concerned about that. But there there are many other cards to go for. If you're looking for a Grail card, there's that's one. But there there are many others too. And there you know again, like, like I said, when you go into other sports, there's but 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 the, the latest Connor McDavid sale was setting a record. So it's troubling and exciting at the same time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my turn again. Yes, sir. Okay, this is a tricky one. I didn't cue you on this, but if if the Hockey Hall of Fame called you and said they're thinking about putting Brian Price in the Hockey Hall of Fame as a builder, as a contributor, what would you say? Oh, that's a great, great question. I mean, you know, his history is storied in the hobby, but does building the hobby really count for building the sport itself? I, I don't know that I that in my mind I see that direct link. That said, I do feel that collecting cards is a bigger part of my life than being a sports fan. And I am a sports fan. I'm a hockey fan. I'm a fan of all sports, but I'm certainly a hockey fan first and foremost. So selfishly and, you know, almost just, you know, based on my life uh, and how I see the whole world of sport and hockey and collecting, I would probably say yes, because he cre- he, he brought the Parkhurst brand back, which, which was something that we hadn't seen since the early 60s, you know, which predates me. And then, you know, his story goes through working with all these different card companies, whether it was ProSet or Donruss or Upper Deck. And then he created his In The Game brand. And then he did a whole bunch of other uh, little little projects along the way. Now he's got President's Choice trading cards. I would say, you know what? I would probably uh, say, yes, I think he would deserve to go in there. But it, as a builder and almost a subcategory of the builders. He's a legitimate builder or contributor. You know, some of the, I mean, he was, uh, yeah. Okay. So we're kind of on the same page there. I think that that's good. Your turn. Okay. Now that Brian has been inducted, <laughs> congratulations, first Dr. Brian Price, first, uh, first dentist dentist in the um, in the hockey hall of fame. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My next question for you, uh, Jim, is with relate with in relation to the the covers. So again, I remember being a kid and waiting for that next Beckett hockey to arrive at the card shop every single month, and I just could not wait to see who was on the cover. My question is, was that who decided who was on the cover of each magazine? Was that yourself, or was that the hockey editor and Especially at issue number one, you know, we know Michael Jordan's on the first issue of basketball, Wayne Gretzky's on the first issue of hockey. I mean, those are obvious selections, but did you make sure it happened that way? And what about subsequent uh, issues? At the beginning, I mean, pretty much all the things I started out and then I gradually release or delegate. But I love, yeah, the two of the things that we guarded closely were the next issue's prices and the next issue's who's going to be on the cover. And I, I just think the, 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 the mystique or the, or the surprise or the wondering who was going to be on there was, uh, 
made it fun. So we were we would we would always get a bunch of photos. We had top notch photos that were giving us things to pick from, and so we'd have a, more than one candidate. And then we at the last possible moment, and we had same thing with the price guide. The price guide was actually printed on different print so that we could print it last, and the covers were printed separately so we could print them last. And uh, and so that that I I think that was a, a real positive. It was a real positive because I think people were curious, and we were trying to strike the pulse of 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 what was going on. We had we had analysts, you know, price guide guys at, in the East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, and and Canada frequently. Not every week week in Canada, but we were again just to be fair, we were trying not to make it too much a bunch of Americans in Dallas doing hockey. Right. So so yeah, so I think I think the the cover was a big deal. And to make it a surprise when you opened it up and then you found out what it was, that that was cool. It's it's kind of like the golden rule. That's that's what I would have wanted. I, I would want to be surprised and, and hopefully delighted and not not ticked off that that it was somebody that that, that had no uh, legitimate merit to be selected. Having said that, I'm not sure if your favorite player is Dale Howarchuk. I'm not sure he made the front cover ever. I don't recall, but Tamo Solani did. And he's my Tamo favorite Solani player. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to make sure we have time for one more question. Is it yours or mine? Mine. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. We're almost out of time. If it's a tough question, we will be out of time. So okay. in, in my opinion, and you know, I've touted you to people I know as, you know, Dr. James Beckett is probably the most iconic person in the hobby. So I'm not, I'm not just pandering here. I, you know, I, I truly believe that, that you are the most iconic, well-known name in the whole sports card hobby. So my question to you is, Aside from yourself, who do you think is the most iconic or well-known legendary name in the sports card hobby? Well, I've just got to hurt feelings if I answer that with any one name. I, they're just they're what I'm doing in my podcast is I'm trying to do uh, tributes to guy, uh, legends who have gone before people that I really looked up to and knew, and so those are the ones that have been deceased. What I want to do going forward, and this is a, a good note to end on because we're we're kind of out of out of, out of time here. They, I want to do, I want to be interviewing the people that, that would be candidates for that. You know, I'm, I'm close friends with Kit Young. He's an absolute icon. We wouldn't have the, the really cool trade show, you know, Mike Burkus, who was the, the father of the national, you know, he, he passed away, but, you know, did a tribute on him. So, so I'm hoping that I can answer that question for you and others by, uh, by future episodes. And so I appreciate the question, Jeremy. And if listeners have suggestions, I, I really, I want to get some oral history of the hobby and I'm blessed to be of, uh, this is the one good thing about being older is I'm old enough to have known a lot of these people who are iconic and have really built, helped build an amazing uh, platform. So thanks, Jeremy. Thanks listeners. Uh, Be back again tomorrow with another episode.